Hello, Field Podcast audience. I am back with you this week with a young woman who changed my life. I met Paula through my time at Her Story when I lived on Long Island. And she was a student at Hofstra and was participating in the Her Story program through a, a partnership that Her Story had with Hofstra at the time. And her writing was so thought-provoking and so personal and so authentic and genuine and brave. It literally changed the way I look at the world. It changed the way I vote. It changed the way I view our immigration system. It educated me about what it was like to deal with DACA at a time that was very scary. The administration that was in office at that time in this country, it was terrifying for people and families like Paula's. And so it was just a masterclass listening to her story and educating this, you know, middle-aged white woman who thought I was pretty educated until I found out I wasn't. And it was just such a great reminder to me that we must always learn and we must always be willing to learn and we must listen to these voices that have experiences we don't have and, and learn from them and advocate for them and use our platforms to talk about these things. And so when I started this podcast, Paula is one of the first people I thought of um, because she has so much. She's a world changer. She will change the world. And she didn't let her age or her status by in terms of being a DACA student, in terms of being part of an immigrant family, um, stop her. And I cannot tell you the level of respect and love and gratitude that I have for her personally for what she has done. And so that's how I met Paula. And Paula is, she's a rising professional in the healthcare communications industry. And you will understand as you hear her story, why she feels so driven to work in this very complex, complicated space. Um, Her character traits are creative, passionate, and nurturing. And, um, and she, and she, follows all of those too. She's a talented musician um, and she follows those passions as well. And because of the kind of industry she works in, the kind of life she's led, these talking points feed so nicely into what she has to do to make this work possible for herself. And she's going to have some great tips for all of us of all ages. And just a reminder to you 20-somethings that you can make a difference right where you are. You don't have to wait. So Paula, thank you so much for being with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to speak with you. (laughs) Oh, good, 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 good. All right, well, we're going to jump right into it. How to prioritize self-care in your life and what that looks like for you. Yeah, well, to be honest, for many years, uh, especially when I met you back at Hofstra University, I was not the best at self-care for a long time. I mean, I was super involved on campus, having joined multiple clubs, orchestra, and somehow making time to socialize. And once I graduated in spring of 2020 and was desperate to find a post-grad job when no one was really hiring, Mm -hmm. and then eventually I did Mm -hmm. land a job, it took me breaking down. I mean, literally physically Mm -hmm. breaking down in my room that I worked in virtually and feeling overwhelmed with all the responsibilities that I had and and feeling a lack of direction in my career to come to terms with the fact that I needed to realign my priorities, first of all, and be okay with not being the best at everything, which was an internal pressure that I put on myself from a young age, being a first-generation immigrant. Um, to finally start actually doing things for myself. You see, back then, college, post-college, Paula, my motivation for progressing in my life and my classes and all the activities that I was doing was solely to make my parents proud and ensure that Mm -hmm. their sacrifices moving to this country weren't in vain. So honestly, Mm -hmm. anytime I failed or I didn't get the outcome I expected, I would reflect that failure upon myself like I didn't try hard Mm. enough, like I wasn't good enough, or I just kept telling myself that I'm going to keep on failing. But once I made that decision to actually put in the effort to appreciate myself more, that's when Mm. I realized, wow, 
we really did that. Like we really did all of these things or wow, I'm really a bad B. And I'm going to censor that because I don't know if I can curse or not on here. Uh, you can. <laughs> but, oh, okay. I'm a bad, <laughs> yeah, I'm a bad bitch, you know, but yeah, like what you I are. do. Yes. <laughs> but what I do currently to, you know, just keep reinforcing my values um, is I have sticky notes on my computer with affirmations mm-hmm. of why I'm where I am and that I truly sure. deserve all the wins that I've gotten in my life. And on my work computer, I have a folder. And I did this just because one of my mentors suggested it. Um, and in that mm-hmm. folder, I have screenshots of every time I got a compliment from one of my clients or supervisors or whenever I get a recognition sticker, which is something my company does. Like you can officially recognize yeah. and send a sticker to a fellow team member oh, that is killing awesome. it. And, I know, love that. It's good. Yeah. And yeah. then outside of work, I've, I've been consistently going to the gym right after I log off so I could really take my mind off everything. I literally just blacks blast music and my noise canceling headphones and zone out um and then once i get home I, I just jam on my ukulele or sing to my plush animals because yes adults can have plushies or you know <laughs> right now actually i'm learning the uh, electric guitar so yeah it's really the wow. little things that that go a long way yeah well and you said something really important that i think it's important for people to remember and i've heard this before um, two of the people that helped me found the podcast um, in 2021 both come from our first generation, both immigrant families from different countries. That pressure is real. And I have heard that time and time again that you all put on yourselves that sometimes your parents inadvertently do without intending. They just they, they do it out of love. They do it out of care. They do it, you know, the whole move was made for the betterment, but it's a lot. And it's a lot at a young age. And I feel like sometimes you all have to grow up before you're ready to. And because of that weight that comes with it and just the experiences that come with it, that other people that have been in this country for generations don't have to deal with. They just don't have to. So I'm so glad you spoke to that. Um, confidently setting boundaries. You mentioned this. You were the involved woman on campus. And you, correct me if I'm wrong, but from my purview, it was like you were fighting with a vengeance, with a chip on your shoulder to push walls down and create spaces because you had to. I mean, that was that was that was unfortunately required. Um, But you talked about being in your room that one day. And oh, my God, you were a 2020 grad on top of everything else. I mean, just just add another layer to the chaos. Um, You talk about that day in your room. Was that a day, too, that kind of helped you realize? Talk to me about your boundaries. I don't want to assume anything. So talk to me about your boundaries journey. Yeah, no. And there was definitely a connection to me, you know, finally confidently sending, setting my boundaries and breaking down in my room um, late 2020 um, after I had landed my first post-grad job. I mean, in terms of, you know, every relationship that I've had, I see boundaries as expectations that we have for each other, ways we can help each other grow and just clearly defining what respects means to each person, because it could mean different things. Um, Because you have conventional, unconventional types of relationships. And this is something I practice not just with my personal relationships, but also my professional ones. I mean, when you're entering a business partnership of any kind, you create a contract, right? right? Of what we'll be handling, how we'll be measuring progress. And also, just like in any job, there are certain responsibilities in place for each candidate so that we can help our team as a whole grow. So, for example, when I started my most recent job earlier in April of this year, I set a time, a side time to do one on ones with every single one of my supervisor, whether I was going to be working Mm -hmm. with them on a day to day basis or on certain projects or, or, you know, whatever that was, just so they could know my face, my voice and my preferred working style. So in each of these calls, I would tell them that I'm the type of person who sits back and tends to listen during a call more so than, you know, be the center of the room, I guess, um, to process that information that's being discussed. And then once I have time to think through my recommendations or perspective, then I will share my thoughts more likely like offline than in a brainstorm. And I also ask them, you know, what they're most comfortable with when it comes to providing feedback, whether they like being on calls to discuss their comments directly and why they took such approaches to their feedback, or if they just prefer to communicate these things offline. And the funny thing is that that approach is not so different with my personal relationships. You know, you have to 
create that unofficial contract so that we can understand each other's needs and really help each other find peace because I think that your relationship should be your peace, should be, you know, your support system and and not give you any <laughs> troubles aside from everything else that's going on in the world, to your point, especially um, given everything that's been going on throughout these recent years. So I, I really see the two of them the same way in in that sense, I guess. Yeah, you have such a healthy grasp on that. You mentioned the first thing you mentioned that I really love was that boundaries are just establishing that respect for each other. I love that thought process with that. And two, I love that you had the intuition at your young age to know going in, I'm going to have these meetings. We are going to communicate expectations and so that we are all on the same page going forward. There's no assumptions being made because you're also working in a world where you can be in the office or not. And that's created some interesting dynamics for companies too, in terms of you know, chemistry between employees and culture and whatnot. And without that very clear communication, that can get wonky and provide some stressors. So everybody out there listening of all ages, when you go into a new job, take this and run with that. That is so good. That's a great idea. So I'm, yeah, that I mean, and just, and then, you know, and then you're not second guessing because it's, you know, you're starting a new job. That's enough in itself in trying to just get established. And, but I I love that advice. I think that's just great advice for everybody and leaders. If your people don't do that, set it up yourselves, go to your people. Don't, don't wait for them to come to you, they maybe they haven't thought of that or don't know it's a possibility, or there may be some fear, you know, it's in that relationship. Break that down and create that that authentic that communication early on. Um, so I think really applies on both sides. So thank you for that. All right, we've spoke to this a little bit already, but taking care of our emotional health as much as our physical health. You talk about you like you've literally had a physical collapse in your room. I, we can all agree. I started this journey, same thing. It It's all intertwined. So talk to me about your journey with that. Yeah. So post-college, as I mentioned earlier, that's been a long journey in terms of navigating my mental health. I mean, I think yeah. many people can agree that the feeling of loneliness, confusion, and even desensitization to tragedy and horror with all the shocking headlines that have come to light in the past couple of years, that's all been on the rise. And having all that negativity surround me at such a pivotal time in my adulthood hasn't been easy. I mean, I started doing therapy in late 2021 because I just felt really lost at that point. I won't get into too many details of what my circumstances were at that time, but that was another point where I broke down and said to myself, enough is enough. I I really have to take a look at why I'm attracting negative energy in my life. So mm-hmm. while I was assessing my situation, and I was unemployed actually um, at that time, so I really had a lot of time to look into this, I was sure. able to, with the help of my therapist, discover that I have ADHD. Now, I did an assessment mm-hmm. with her to find this out, and I also spoke with multiple psychiatrists to get their official diagnoses. And in a way, that was so relieving to me to understand that a yeah. part of me that I was always ashamed of, right, the the struggle when mm-hmm. it came to socializing, to being productive, and just feeling so different and incompetent compared to my yeah. peers. Again, I usually just thought that that was a f- reflection of me as a failure, sure. as a disappointment. And that was on top of the depression and anxiety that I was already diagnosed with since I was 11. So given that context, it also made me realize that I needed to put in more effort when it came to my emotional health in the sense Mm -hmm. of understanding my triggers when I felt Mm. mentally overstimulated, usually in larger social settings or whenever I was presenting to clients, for example, because there was that bigger need to put on a mask and become a different Mm. person because... I didn't know if the real me, I, I don't know what you'd call it, the unhinged Latina who isn't afraid to speak her mind. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know if that was going to cut it in these situations. Yeah. So particularly in these moments when I caught myself feeling overwhelmed and not in control at all, I knew that mm-hmm. if something negative were to happen or if I felt judged in any way, I wouldn't process my emotions in a healthy manner. And honestly, I, I felt like I, I was very vulnerable in those moments and like I would 
cry. <laughs> so what has helped yeah. me is firstly, <clears throat> not giving so much power to other people when I do receive negativity. And I think I was pretty good at this from a young age because I had experienced overt racism back then. Um, oh my and gosh. Yeah. Just, she, yeah, I, yeah you've been, not, you, I mean, I would say you've been dealing with, Yeah, I'm not surprised to hear this because you at such an early age had to deal with just absolutely in terms of how you were treated and your family was treated. Absolutely. So yeah, to your point, that's what really helped me from a young age, just stop putting as much emphasis on that external validation because then I'm more able to be my true self, not for others, but just for me. And I've also learned that giving myself space once things get heated and communicating that to the other party and saying, hey, I'm not feeling like myself right now. I'm not thinking rationally because I'm emotionally overwhelmed. So I cannot communicate properly until I have time Mm -hmm. to process my feelings and the situation on my own. So I separate myself from what's giving me stress or negative emotions. And I really take my time because I owe that to myself. And once I feel collected again, um, that's when I can properly resolve whatever the issue was. And then in terms of my physical health, as I mentioned before, I'm a huge enthusiast of going to the gym. And doing it, again, not for external validation or necessarily to look better, but instead because I really want to commit to taking care of myself just just for myself and and loving myself in that way. Well, and I think it's a way that we work out the stressors. I'm diagnosed with anxiety in a form of OCD. I feel it in my body. I have got to do – there are days – that I've got to do a very specific kind of workout to get that out of my body and um, to name what it is that's happening, which I do every morning. I, I list out how I'm feeling. And, and my, my point being, you feel it. You can feel it in your body. And you just a prime example of what you shared of listening to your body and giving it what it needs, not for anybody else, but for you and your exactly. health and your best self. And if I think too, if we can switch the narrative on that, especially for women and take that pressure off of ourselves to work out, to look at, no, I'm working out for me because it makes me feel better. It relieves my stressors. It gives me pause. It allows me to have a break in my day because the other thing too, sometimes when you're working from home, it's hard to find that breaking point when the work day's over. I worked from home for 15 months and I had to like go drive around the block. <laughs> come back to kind of create that break because I was doing all my workouts at home. And so Mm. so you speak, you have to create those spaces too for that separation, but listening to your body and um, I can't, I mean, I know I keep saying this, but I, you know, these are things that you, you had to start carrying a heavy load early. And so Mm -hmm. it's important for you to get on top of these things and have these coping mechanisms and naming it's, I, there's so much power in naming, and I feel like ADHD is so underdiagnosed in females anyway. I mean, there's study after study because it shows up differently. Um, ADHD does not ha- is not always the hyper kid, <laughs> or you know, and, and you know, and it feeds mm-hmm. into so many other things. But that has to be so. Imp- it is empowering. It sounds weird, but it is empowering when you get a diagnosis because it just explains so much. Like exactly. Yeah, it makes it all, I was like, oh, that makes sense now. Okay. So thank you so much for sharing that and speaking to that. Um, how You are a champ at this, just kind of by the way you work in the world. As you mentioned, where you are a bad bitch Latina woman in this world. And, I, and you do this really well, but how can we support ourselves and other women in living unapologetically? Yeah. So I'll say there's this TikTok trend that I saw a couple months ago where people were posting photos of themselves as children and saying, when I'm being mean to myself or judging myself, I'm also saying these things to this person. And that's Mm -hmm. what really changed my mindset about how I look at self-care, how I look at empowering myself. And to Mm -hmm. me, all these practices that I've incorporated into my life are intended to heal my inner child. And to treat myself because I deserve that and and to keep loving myself. So when I do simple things like getting a haircut or getting my nails done or going on a shopping spree, yeah, I do it to feel good. But in a way, when I do these things, I kind of separate myself from myself, if that makes sense. And physically say to myself, yeah, like, yeah, you deserve this, Paula. Let me treat you to something nice because I love you. 
And even in my therapy sessions, my therapist said that this type of mindfulness can apply to any situation where you're processing your feelings. So if you're Mm -hmm. confused about a decision you have to make for yourself, for example, just separate yourself from the situation and pretend like your friend is the person who's Mm -hmm. struggling and you're giving them advice. What would you tell them to do? How would you comfort them? How would you encourage them to live unapologetically? And when Mm -hmm. I have those conversations with myself, and this is going to sound random, but it really helps, I I look at myself in this little mirror that I have on my desk and I ask myself these questions. I give Mm -hmm. myself advice and I just keep reinforcing the values that I truly bring out. And with my friends who have been through so much with me and have seen this dramatic shift in who I am as a person, I also remind them of their values, regardless of where they are in their journey right now. I mean, we're all in very different places. We all are different ages. Um, And, you know, another thing that comes to mind when it comes to empowering women is the importance of mentorship, because I would not be where I am professionally if it wasn't for the mentors, mostly women of color who provided guidance when I needed it most, especially when I felt lost when I was unemployed. Going back to that, when I just couldn't find a job at all post-grad, whenever I was doubting myself. And even to my mentors that I directly worked with, I'm just grateful really that they took a chance with me when I felt like others wouldn't. Because that's what really gave me the confidence to continuously get out of my comfort zone. And now one of my goals moving forward is to give that confidence to rising young professionals in my field who feel that same way like I did back when I was in their shoes. And I've already been able to help mentor some current college students that have reached out to me. You know, I I reinforce their values by telling them like, hey, look, regardless of your age, because I know that you might be a bit intimidated going into the corporate world. Regardless of your age, you have such valuable insights that any client, any company is just dying to know right now because Gen Z, we're the rising consumer base. We need you in the workforce. We need your ideas. We need your perspective. You have so much value, even if you didn't have that many internships or maybe if you didn't intern at the fanciest companies, you know, that does not matter because you have knowledge that will help really progress how we're marketing to diverse audiences, right? We're, we're not just marketing to one consumer base, we're marketing to many. Um, and we want to reach these audiences in an authentic manner with meaningful messaging. Um, and to to do that, we need representation, right? That's why diversity, ah. in, equity, and inclusion is so important, um, especially mm-hmm. in communications. Um, so yeah, I, I've helped some students already and, and I'm open to continue supporting more and more people that way. And and teaching them what my mentors have taught me because I don't believe in gatekeeping. I believe in helping mm. others rise up. I love that. That, yeah, that right there. I don't, I love that. I don't believe in gatekeeping because listen, <clears throat> we're all better together and we've got to do this together um, as a collective or we just keep feeding the people that are trying to keep us down, y'all down as women of color, we keep feeding, we're helping the cause if we don't come together and do this together. And there's enough room for all of it. And there's when you win someone, it creates space for someone else to win. And so getting rid of this whole scarcity mindset around that too. But I love that you're already giving back. I'm not even surprised, but there it's so, there's so much power in mentoring. I'm a mentor and I didn't have one. I was a first generation college student and um, I didn't have one. And I always told myself, I'm I'm going to do that differently um, because it is so important. And you just need those affirmations and those reminders. And your generation, you know, you spoke something important. You all have been through some things at your ages that no one else has been through. I, you know, no I'm one, parenting 20 yeah. somethings. My 20 somethings were in college. My, my oldest wasn't, she was out, but my middle and younger and I had no idea what to tell them because I had never been through that before. So you all have something to offer that's so unique. I was working with high school kids at the time and the job I had at the time. And I'm like, you all have something unique to offer that no one else does out there in the world. So don't be afraid. And we need your knowledge because you're having to walk out things that there's no book for that we haven't been through before. So I'm glad you brought that up too. I think that's really important. And the mentoring thing, it does age doesn't matter. 
it, and there's, you know, we all have something to offer and it, and it's just so important to, to create that space. So thank you so much for speaking to that. All right. The importance of setting and coming back to your why and your values and everything you do. I, you have always had, since I've known you, a lot of demands on your time. There's a lot of things you could do. You've also, as a woman of color, have to be mindful of the people that are really for you and what you're participating is a good thing and is not Mm -hmm. just them taking advantage of you or Mm -hmm. making you a member or part of their statistics. I mean, that's a tricky thing, I think, with DEI right now is... And DEIB, as we're seeing more and more with the belonging piece, is who's doing it for real and actually Mm -hmm. cares and wants to see this happening and wants to see more than one woman of color at the table Mm -hmm. and who's just trying to fill numbers and and not. So I know I threw a lot at you in that, but talk to me (laughs) about your values, why and choosing those spaces and everything you do. Yeah, I mean, being in the corporate world, you hit you hit the nail on the head there. We we don't want performativism. We want action. We want accountability and and we don't want tokenism. You know, I'm I stand for the cause, of course. You know, I'm passionate about it, but I, I'm not gonna be your token person of color, woman of color, whatever it is, um, just for for that corporate gain. You know, I, I don't right. I don't believe in that. And in terms of my values, I mean I firmly believe that if I don't stand by my own values and morals and in any decision that I make, I feel like I lose a sense of my own identity. Mm. Um, In my matriarchal family, while we're not super religious, a major part of our Catholic faith that we really incorporate into our daily lives is cultivating and practicing virtue by performing Mm. good acts, not for our own selfish reasons, but to show our love for one another as an yeah. expression of God's love, because every mm-hmm. human life is valuable. And I firmly stand by that as a queer Latina woman who has met people from so many different walks of life. And us yeah. giving to others is really continually giving the best of ourselves, not for gain of any means. Mm. Now, when I'm in a moral dilemma, in a way, yeah. I, I go sure. back to my Catholic and Hispanic roots because my culture is very collectivist, so we care about the whole of a community yeah. and are, are hyper attentive to the needs of others. So if I'm ever wronged, I was taught to turn the other cheek, to not allow more injury, and I really put an effort to try to understand the other person or, or people mm-hmm. and not let the negativity have power over me because mm-hmm. my time and my being is precious, so I can yeah. only give the limited energy that I have to what really serves me at the end yeah. of the day. Absolutely. Oh, that was really well said. Yeah, y'all are going to be like, how old oh. is this young woman? <laughs> My gosh, she's wise beyond her ears. But you did, you had matriarchs though in your family that set that precedent for you too. Absolutely. And I, you know, and, and made and empowered you with that. So, which is so important. Um, living, this is going to be a big one. This is going to be, you could go on for all day on this one. Living out of your own expectations versus others. This is so multifaceted for you um, as a woman, as a Latina woman, as a clear, a queer Latina woman, as a 20 something, <laughs> as an immigrant. I could go on and on and on. So, you know, and those and those ex we talked about earlier, you wanted to do you wanted to do so well for your family and for your parents. And that's a heavy weight for anyone to carry. And again, I think as we hear this a lot from our from our first generation young people as they're embarking out in the world and trying to honor their parents' sacrifice. So talk to me about getting to that space of living out of your own expectations versus others. Yeah. And to your point, I could talk about this for hours. I think this is a really good topic and definitely very relevant. Um, As I mentioned before, growing up, I put a lot of pressure on myself because my parents were the ones who decided that we were all going to move to the United States. We came here with nothing to our name, as as I mentioned before in, in my stories from her story. Yeah. Uh, we lived in my grandmother's apartment in Park Place and didn't know any English. And I grew mm. up just remembering my parents telling me that they gave up any dreams that they had as children of being you know, an engineer um, or writer, um, which was the dream that they had when they lived back in Peru. You know, sure. just just giving up those dreams just for the potential opportunity that my brother and I 
could succeed here in in some way. So mm. when I was the first in my family to pick up this new language since I learned it at a really young age, my yeah. parents made me do a lot of different activities, whether it was the violin, tennis, volleyball, swimming, spelling bees, etc. And it just felt like my growth within these activities and academics was a direct reflection of the work that they were putting in, working multiple mm-hmm. heavy labor intensive jobs. So if I messed up in any way, my fear didn't solely just relate to their disappointment in me, but more so my own criticism of myself. So as I picked up the violin and sports, for example, I started getting addicted to this sense of competitiveness where I felt Mm. that unless I was the very best, whether I was concertmaster of the orchestra or captain, um, the money and time that my parents spent with my lessons, with helping me improve, were a waste. Mm -hmm. And then when I didn't get these opportunities to be the leader, to get the recognition I thought I deserved, I got severely depressed. And as a kid, I didn't know what that feeling was. But later on, when I turned 11, I actually got a diagnosis and and I would say nasty things to myself. Um, And Mm -hmm. I was being bullied at the same time um, that all of that was happening. And I went through a lot of traumatic incidents that I, I don't really want to get too much into but you know all of that mixed together just was not great so once exactly and once I started working on healing my inner child and telling myself Mm -hmm. that I wasn't you know just saying these things to present me but also me as a kid like literally looking Mm -hmm. at photos of little me you know that's Mm -hmm. when I started realizing I, I have to be true to myself and really live in my skin so that that was in college when I really started um, practicing that. And um, that's when I discovered other multifaceted parts of my identity, you know, whether it was my queerness and really embracing that. Um, yeah. And once I did embrace that, and I could speak more on that a bit later. <laughs> um, yeah. That's when I truly felt like I was able to start really loving myself and putting in that self-care um, and that effort. And I just, it was so, again, relieving, just understanding the complexities of my identity and doing it for me, not just for, you know, my parents. Like they would tell me, don't do these things for us, do it for sure. yourself. Um, yeah, that's when I, I began that journey once I had that realization. Yeah, you spoke to something really important, and I've done this work too, so I can speak to the power of it. That inner child work is so important to go back to that eight year old, 10 year old, six year old self and hug her and tell her how proud of you you that you are and that she's doing great and that she can release the reins now because you've got it like I've felt the power of that it is so healing it is also really important if you're going to feel freedom and if you don't understand what inner child work is I'll put some links in the resources I have a therapist as well (laughs) um yeah, yeah, can't say enough about therapy <clears throat> that I that I work through, but there's a, so much power in that. And this is something you can do yourself too. You can re- when you, but you have to be able to identify it. I think it's really important to you have to be able to pinpoint and identify. But I'm so glad you spoke to that because that's really, really an important part of the healing process and and, and just in navigating that and realizing the weight you know, that it, that it carries and, and giving that inner child the release. Like we've got this, we're okay. Now we've got good practices. We're healthy. Thanks for your work. You can, you can rest. I've got you. So I'm so glad you spoke to that. Um, all right. This is going to fit right into what we were just talking about accepting the layered aspects of ourselves, which you've kind of spoke to a little bit already, but mm-hmm. all those pieces, all those layers that we unpack, that we peel back um, and that make up who we are. Talk to me about your layers and accepting those layers and, and celebrating those layers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Learning more about who I am has been a journey similar to the stories from the other uh, guests that have been featured on this podcast. Yeah. The Hispanic Latinx identity is very complex. As, mm-hmm. as we have learned as a collective society over the past couple of years, we're not a monolith. So what resonates yes. with one group might not resonate with another in terms of values and our form of expression. 
And when I was discovering my own identity throughout my life, I felt conflicts between various aspects of things of that identified with. For example, I knew I was queer since I was six. My fluidity and gender expression and attraction to, you know, the same gender, none of it was abnormal to me in the slightest. But even then, as a child, I knew that this part of me was in conflict, not not just with my Catholic identity, because my family was definitely more religious back then, but also in conflict with my Hispanic identity, a culture that has historically oppressed the LGBTQIA community. And to be honest, I never felt comfortable coming out to my parents. I actually never have even to this day. Um, Until I was about 11, I actually thought I I was lesbian. And Mm. yeah, it This term queer, however, really appealed to me when I was in college. One of my favorite singers who identifies this way mentioned that it really encapsulates her fluidity in many ways, not just related Uh, to her attraction to women. And I embraced it, especially once I graduated, because some Uh, days I definitely feel more masculine. Other days I feel mm -hmm. very feminine and literally my expressions as a whole shift accordingly. (laughs) And that perspective has really made me continue to accept and love myself uh, because I understand myself better. And that has helped improve just the quality in all the relationships that I've had with uh, with everyone around me, whether it's personal, professional and whatnot, you know, just being able to uh, say, hey, I'm a Latina queer person and having um, the safety net <laughs> to be able to express sure. myself in that way has been so relieving and amazing. And I'm glad that we've gotten to this point in, in our society. Yeah. And I think we've seen huge leaps in that in the last five years. With all of the hard stuff that's been the last five years, it's forced conversations around gender and and how and how we respect people in terms of who they are and how we're all beautiful and we were created this way. We were made to be this way. And so taking all the judgment out of that and and embracing that and also feeling safe enough to say it because you're dealing with a lot of complex, you know, environments and audiences that you're dealing with there. When you were a kid and you knew this, how was did you have peace with it or was it was it something that was in conflict for you? Because as a kid, you don't have all those emotional tools and you were all so much was already being (laughs) asked of you. I just want to go hug, you know, six year old Paula and be like, oh, my gosh, hang in there, kid. You're going to be okay." (laughs) Yeah, she had to grow up really fast, like you mentioned before. And I don't know what it was. It just even as a kid, when you have these inherent feelings, right, because some people think that, you know, you're generating anything having to do with your identity is is create nurtured you know they call it the environment having an impact on you I I don't believe that's true because if I knew since I was six like that I had these feelings and that I identified this way and even when I was playing house for example with my best friend at the time I was always the dad and I didn't think about gender roles I was like yeah I'm gonna be the dad (laughs) and I love my wife and my kids it wasn't weird to me and I never judged myself for it and I thought hey like if I feel this way, then, you know, seeing other people that felt that way too and identified that way, it just wasn't abnormal to me. And I will say, especially being Hispanic, we, especially in Hispanic media, because my parents had subscription to Peruvian channels or channels from South America, they would mock and and say very overtly, even racist depictions of of different communities and it's it's so normalized the jokes it's just very offensive so growing up seeing that it it puts you down in a way and you kind of feel like you have to hide this big part of you I mean I still feel like I have to hide that part of me um Mm. to this day um Mm. and it it takes a toll on your mental health I'll say that but I mean hey if I could be open with you know the world at least and and dress the way I want to dress just for my own benefit you know because I want to then that's that's all I need and yeah yeah, as a kid it's a lot to process I was very confused I thought okay I just like women yeah but you know it it's fluid you you change and I think college was a really great time for me to be able to reflect on that and even post-college with COVID I mean yes a lot of negative things happened but it gave me that time to really dig deep and confirm things that I had questioned before and now this yeah. is me confirming all of that, I guess, and putting it out there. 
Well, I love that. And thank you so much for your vulnerability and courage. Again, you just impress me all the time. And this is just another level of that. But also, Ju, you know, I think never underestimating people out there, the microaggressions, you've got multiple levels of microaggressions that you've got to walk out every day. And the toll that that takes on your emotional health, you've got to have a really solid sense of self. And I just, you know, I think my plea is like, people just be aware of how you're talking to people, be respectful, stop for five seconds and think, is there any way this is going to be hurtful? And I think that's an area we still have a lot of room to improve <laughs> in yeah. and grow in. But, but, you know, but we're, we're having the conversations, but thank you so much for your vulnerability and sharing that. Okay. Um, in summary, in living out feel, finding empowerment, embracing layers, which I think you've defined beautifully today in this conversation. Talk to me about how that affects you and how you feel about yourself as well as affects your relationships. Absolutely. Well, reflecting on these various aspects of who I am over many years of my life, it has reminded me of the work that I put in for all those years to really feel comfortable in my own skin. And yeah. one of the beliefs is, one of my beliefs is that loving yourself makes it easier to love someone else. I know some people say, oh, you have to fully love yourself before you love someone else. But no, I think it, it's it's a journey. So like Absolutely. any relationship, your relationship with yourself is dynamic and requires constant attention. And we all live with our own inner turmoil or demons, as some people would refer to it as. So no matter how much work we do or how much we progress in life, there are days when you're going to set back. And when you embrace your layers, all of it, the good, the morally questionable, whatever it is, you start- Not just the fancy, tiny stuff. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Once you, you put in that work, you start confirming your non-negotiables, what what you will tolerate mm-hmm. from other people and what you won't. You seek less approval. Yeah. You won't have as many holes or gaps to fill within you because you can easily let go of what does not serve you. And you will be yeah. less afraid of being alone because you'll find fulfillment from so many other aspects in your life. You'll be nicer mm-hmm. to yourself and your inner child. You'll stop compromising. Mm-hmm. And once you get to that point, you'll truly find peace because as I said earlier, your partner should bring you peace. And finally, the people left in your circle after considering all of these factors are just going to be the best quality people for you who will only bring you forward in your journey. And I think over the past years, once I started, you know, constantly looking at my inner circle, taking away, you know, people just constantly reassessing that part of my life. It has improved my life in so many ways because the people mm-hmm. that I have right now are just the best people ever, in my opinion. And and they've they've seen me again through many ups and downs in my life, and and they've still have been loyal. And and yeah, I we we have a mutually beneficial thing going on. So that's that's yeah. what I want moving. Forward. I love that. I love that. That's so. And it's, I'm, it's so exciting to hear you have that. I know I keep saying this at your age because, I mean, so many people, so many people I know, this discovery doesn't happen right away. This discovery happens through a lot of hard choices, hard experiences, decisions. And you see people in their 30s, 40s, 50s. I mean, I'm in my 50s now. Um, but fi- finding this about, about themselves and all the time they lost. I mean, it's not lost. I mean, there's there's value in it in the in every in most of the things we go through. Although sometimes shitty things just happen, and there's yeah. <laughs> there's no value in that. Exactly. But so so it's so I love that you found this now and can say this now because one of the things that we've started to identify too is this is our island. This is who, and these are the values that we withhold on our island. So we don't block people off of our island, but we block certain ways of if you are not going to act in this way of being respectful, loving, you know, kind, welcoming, valuing all humans, you know, those we have some we have three or four values that my husband and I over the last couple of years as we've kind of re-identified all that we are and what we believe. Um so it's not, you know, it's you mentioned it, it's not a it's a respect thing. And I think you you have already done that. You're like, welcome to my island. If all of you that embody this, welcome aboard. If you don't embody in this, that I respect that. 
there's just not going to be space for you on my island. <laughs> exactly. I love that. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's just, it's just, I wish that we had done this so many years ago. So, so kudos to you <laughs> again for, for getting on that because Thank it's you. just, it's going to make your life so much more. You're going to have contentment. Things, life is wild and it's going to throw you things, but it's going to allow you to walk through it with contentment and peace amongst the storm because you've established this. You know it. You've, there's no wavering. These, these are this, these are my values. This is my, these are the non-negotiables. I think that's a really important word. And it's, it, you have to have those non-negotiables or you're just fluttering around and you're not, you can't be firm. You don't have a foundation if you don't have those non-negotiables. So thanks so much for sharing that. All right. We're down to our rapid fire. Name five activities that nourish you. Ooh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'll say number one, going to the gym uh, number two, spending quality time with my friends, since that's one of my main love languages. Yeah. Number three, going to conferences and networking events, which is really just me getting out of my comfort zone. Sure. Number four, performing music in front of people. I, I honestly mm-hmm. haven't performed music in such a long time, but I've been yearning to do so. So whenever sure. that opportunity comes up, I know that it's it's so it's such a good feeling. Um, yeah. And number five is really getting to know my family on a, on a deeper level, like really learning mm-hmm. more about them and, and learning about their inner child too, because I, I know that, um, as my therapist said, the issues that I've had with my family in the past it is really just, it, it, it involves, you know, all their inner child, their, their background, the sacrifices they've made. So I've been able to let go of, you know, the tension that we've had with just the complexities of of my upbringing and really try to understand them and where they're coming from before judging them for the decisions that that they've made in the past and that they continue to make now because you know we grew up in very different environments so for me that's just very fulfilling just asking about their childhood asking about their stories because they they love talking about themselves they're amazing people and and it's it's really fascinating to get to know them better um, because my family were we're badasses um, and we got some really good stories and things to say. So as, as you know, like they're really why I, I am the way I am too. So I, I love them and hopefully they're listening. <laughs> well, that's amazing. And, and they're survivors, you know, honestly, you're all survivors. And, and what I love too is that your that ability to hold a nuance of emotions, of recognizing this wasn't great and it put a lot of pressure on me, but I also within their story, understand how we got here. And so that can give me a different lens and a different empathy. I'm not negating what happened and the damage it did. And I'm dealing with that now. I've named it. I'm going to therapy. I'm doing those things. At the same time, I can, you know, I want to know more because some of these things too, I think we find, we can, this is how we break down generational traumas. This is how we stop patterns and start new patterns and, and break into those things. So that willingness to not be so dualistic in our feeling of things are not black and white. There's a lot of gray out there and, and being able to embrace both of both sides of that is so important. Name five words on how you want to feel the next six months. Ooh, how I want to feel. Hmm. I feel like because we're kind of getting closer to the new year, this is super relevant. I've been thinking about it. <laughs> I, I definitely want to feel powerful I think mm. in, in my description, I, I go by this uh, motto um, that my mom told me of being pequeña y poderosa, which in Spanish mm. it translates to small because, yes, I'm a very petite girl, yeah, as you know, because you've seen me in person. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, I own that. I'm, I'm, all, I'm petite and you don't expect much from me when you see me in the room, but I am powerful and I am going mm. to assert myself to prove you wrong. You know, that's, that's kind of yes. been an ongoing thing. So I want to feel powerful. Um, I want to feel uh, motivated, whether it's in the gym. Mm. I just want to continue reaching my goals, um, hitting new PRs constantly and and surprising myself with just what I'm physically capable of, Yeah, uh, which I guess ties into the first one really well. Yeah. Don't um, underestimate yeah. this woman. I can tell you right now. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, I've been doing pretty good with weights and stuff. So I, I've been impressing myself. So yeah, I just yeah. want to keep doing that. Um, I want to feel fulfilled with my relationships, um, whether mm-hmm. you know it's personal, professional. I think I've 
uh, I've navigated a lot in terms of my relationships. So I, I just want to continue to be fulfilled and stick with my non-negotiables and my boundaries. Um, I think that's three. <laughs> Four, I want to feel, um, I don't know if this is the right word, knowledgeable. I just want to continue learning. I mean, being in yeah. healthcare communications, you work with clients that work in different disease spaces. And I'm a, I'm a learner. I'm a passionate learner. So for me, it's really fascinating to be able to learn about the treatment options that there that are in clinical trials, to learn about patient populations, to learn about disparities within different disease states. So yeah, just continuing to be knowledgeable will definitely help me benefit and grow in that sense. Number five, I, I want to be respected. Again, going back to the boundaries and just continuing to love myself and um, going back to my values. And number six, uh, I guess I want to be resilient even mm. though I've overcome so many things in my life so far, I know that there's so much more to come. I mean, sure. I'm still very relatively early in my career and my adulthood. So I, I just want to continue to be resilient and, and persevere um, mm. as much as I can, regardless of what comes my way, because that's the only way I'll be powerful is, is just really how I behave when I'm knocked down, you know, what I do when yes. I'm knocked down, that is more of a testament to my character than yeah. when things are going well. So I, right. I'm kind of excited for things to not go my way because <laughs> I can continue to, again, go back to my values and reinforce, reinforce uh, what I, what I really bring to the table. Mm. Uh, Paula, thank you so much. This was as good and so much more than I expected to be. I'm so honored that you took the time with me today. It's been so great reconnecting with you. Field podcast audience, you're going to want to maybe come back and listen to this a couple times, bring your notepad, but you can find us on all the socials, um, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, um, maybe Twitter. We'll see. <laughs> Twitter's in a weird Ooh. time right now. Maybe Twitter, maybe not, but today... <laughs> Twitter, um, as well as YouTube. Um, we have our website, embracinglayers.com, where you'll be able to find sources that Paula shares, where you're able to learn more about her and her journey. Um, there'll be a blog on this episode leading up to it. And you're going to want to have and listen and share all of this. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today, Paula. I'm so thankful. And podcast audience, have a great week. <laughs>